Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Here we are with episode six. Thanks for joining us. Thanks also to everyone who has listened and subscribed and to those who have liked and followed our Facebook page. Really appreciate those who have responded with feedback and ideas as well. Listener Anne introduced us to a weather phenomenon known as a haboob. That's spelled H-A-B-O-O-B. It's <laughs> such a great word. Sounds fake almost. <laughs> According to the article she referenced, though, a haboob is a wall of dust pushed out from the leading edge of a shelf of clouds during a storm. We will link to the article, which includes ominous photos of a haboob that was spotted recently in the Boise, Idaho area. Incidentally, haboob is a real word. It's from an Arabic word meaning strong wind. Thanks so much for sharing your new favorite word with us, Anne. Listener John was curious about the word nacho. Although the origin of this word is not proven for sure, the Mexican snack we all know and love as nachos today is thought to have been invented in 1943 by Chef Ignacio Anaya, whose nickname was Nacho. That means that Nacho is an example of an eponym, which we discussed in last week's episode. (laughs) Hope you remember. (laughs) (laughs) Although the world may have forgotten Senor Anaya himself, his signature dish still carries his name and thrills us all. (laughs) Thanks so much for asking, John. What food would you want to have named after you? So let's just dive right in. I think you're up first this week, Tessa. What have you got for us today? Okay. Well, as probably a lot of you are experiencing, this time of social distancing in our country has led to some different things than we're used to. And in our family, we've been exploring a lot of new hobbies. And for us, one of those is podcasting. Another one that some members of our family are discovering or rediscovering right now is yo-yo. And as I've been watching people practicing their yo-yo tricks, I thought a lot about the word yo-yo. And I can say that this week, my new favorite word is (laughs) yo-yo. So as I was doing my research, I came across a really interesting website. It's called the Museum of Yo-Yo History, Spinning Through the Ages. Fascinating. Yes. Museums for everything. (laughs) It's a great website with lots of history of the yo-yo. And I thought this was interesting as I started looking at the etymology of a word, I, it was tied in very closely with the history. It was a really interesting uh, journey for me. So one of the articles on the website was by someone named Valerie Oliver, and she talked about how the yo-yo itself, although it's been called by many, many different names throughout history, has been around since at least 500 BC. Now that's where we have the first historical proof Um, from Greek records, that the yo-yo was a toy that children played with. Interesting. But historians believe that the yo-yo was around possibly as early as 1000 BC, which most likely originated in China. Okay. Yeah, so that's not something I knew anything about until I did this research. But uh, some of the popular ideas about where the yo-yo came from talk about in the 16th century in the Philippines, there were hunters who used a weapon that was kind of similar to a yo-yo. They'd take a rock or stone and tie a vine or some kind of string or rope around it, 
they'd climb a tree and they'd throw it at their prey and then they'd be able to reel it back in and try again. Without having to climb down the tree. Yeah, so you can see a similarity there between that and the yo-yo, but pretty much other evidence shows that this is not the origin of the yo-yo, although there is this similarity. Okay. Um, some At some point, the phenomenon of the yo-yo, which was not called the yo-yo yet, traveled from Asia to Europe, or possibly just developed independently in different parts of the world. It's kind of a simple concept, mm-hmm. um, so that could be a possibility. But in France, around the time of the French Revolution, the French aristocracy were very enamored of this toy. And when they escaped from the reign of terror and fled to England, they brought this toy with them. And so it became known as, and I'm not going to pronounce this French very well, I'll probably need your help with it, but Le Maigret. So that root of emigrate in there. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, it it's was like the, the toy brought by the those who were emigrating. Those oh, who were fleeing. Yeah. Um, and in England, it took off on its own and had many different names. Uh, one that was the most common was called the Bandalore. B-A-N-D-A-L-O-R-E. So that's kind oh. of an archaic word for a yo-yo. Interesting. Uh, sometimes called a quiz. Yeah, and there was Q-U-I-Z. a yes, and there was a a drawing of two boys teasing an older woman with their yo-yos, throwing them and bringing them back. So she was afraid she was going to get hit, and so there's kind of this older meaning of quiz, like to tease someone to mm. quiz them. So it's interesting. I didn't do a, go a lot down that lane of research, but I might do that. Yeah, later. that's intriguing. Yeah, and at one point. Um, there was a drawing that circulated in newspapers of the Prince of Wales, who was very young at the time, playing with a bandolore. And so, as we know, celebrity endorsements are quite a thing. <laughs> and so that caused the popularity of the bandolore to take off quite a bit in England at that time. And it was often called the Prince of Wales toy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it's had many different names. But where does the name Yo-Yo come from? That's the question. Um, In the late 1800s and early 1900s, a few different people attempted to introduce the toy to the population of the United States. It hadn't really been something that people had here before. But uh, in 1916, there was an article on Filipino toys that was published by the Scientific American Supplement calling it a yo-yo. So that's where we get that word here, but it's what they had been calling it in the Philippines before that. Um, Some say and said that it was the Tagalog word for cum-cum or return. I think I've heard that before. But that is actually a false etymology. Um, Kind of a linguistic urban legend that we've discussed that kind of thing before on this show. Mm -hmm. But the truth is no one knows exactly where the term yo-yo came from. But it is the name that has endured for a long time. And... Yo-yos were all the rage in the Philippines, as I was talking about, for decades. And in the 1920s, a man named Pedro Flores brought the toy to the U.S. and he started a company to manufacture them, and he called his company Yo-Yo. So that name was a brand name in the U.S. and caught on quite a bit. And ever since, the toys enjoyed lots of ebbs and flows of popularity, um, which you can read about more on the websites that I will link in the show notes. It's really fascinating. 
But most interesting to me is how the word yo-yo started out as a noun. And as you might guess from last week's episode, I'm most interested in how it became used in different ways. as different parts of speech and has gained additional meanings through analogy and functional shift of the language. So some other nouns that have come from that, probably the most natural is instead of just talking about the yo-yo as the toy, but using it to mean the pastime of playing with the yo-yo. He was deeply involved in yo-yo. He was passionate about yo-yo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the whole art of exactly. yo-yo. Yes. And then it started to mean, um, through analogy, something or someone going continually up and down or to and fro. For example, interest rates being described as all a big yo-yo. And we understand what that means, right? Because we know how yo-yo works. Um, and then it became something that you could use to describe a person, uh, one that undergoes frequent abrupt shifts or reversals as of opinion or emotion. So a vacillator. There's another good word. Doesn't that sound almost like a superhero or super villain? <laughs> vas- Would he be a hero or a villain? That's the question. The vacillator. And then in the 1970s, um, the, a slang term came about describing a person who was considered stupid or objectionable mm-hmm. as a yo-yo. <laughs> so possibly from this idea of someone that vacillates and can't decide on anything. So, And then using it as, as an adjective. So marked by continual ups and downs or to and fro motion. So a yo-yo economy or yo-yo dieting. Mm-hmm. Right? And we can envision in our minds what that means, the going back and forth based on analogy. But then, of course, my favorite is denominalization of the word yo-yo or verbing it, creating a verb from it. So it started out naturally to play with the yo-yo. In the 1930s, they started to talk about that, to yo-yo. Do you Mm yo-yo? That's fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then eventually in the 1960s, to move up and down or between one point and another to fluctuate. It's interesting that it took it that long to be used in that more figurative sense. But we yo-yoed back and forth between two opinions or two options, something like that. And then a transitive verb, to manipulate or maneuver someone or something as a yo-yo in the 1970s. Uh, I don't want the job if it means he gets to yo-yo me around. Okay. (laughs) It's a great visual, isn't yeah. it? There's just a lot packed into that word. And I love how we can use words to convey so much meaning in an efficient way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that some of our listeners have talked about how they use our podcast as an educational segment to their day. And that makes us so happy. I hope you realize that. But I was just thinking that this would be a great springboard if anyone wanted to study more about the history of the yo-yo, the evolution of the form of the yo-yo and different aspects of that, uh, or actually learning yo-yo. So uh, this was a really interesting topic for me, and it all started from simple word yo-yo. Very cool. Thank you, Tessa. Yeah. That was great. So for my word, it's more of a phenomenon, really, a linguistic phenomenon. Let's say that we've been to a restaurant, like in pre-pandemic days. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Those carefree days. <laughs> we both had hamburgers, and you've just finished telling me how much you liked yours. And I respond with, burger schmurger. <laughs> 
what do you interpret my meaning to be? <laughs> well, it's very facetious and sarcastic, right? You, yeah. you don't like something about what I said. Yeah, exactly. It, it expresses that sense of sarcasm or disagreement or... Disdain. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is called... SHM reduplication. Oh, they have a term for it. That makes me so happy. <laughs> so reduplication, first of all, because SHM reduplication is a mouthful. Let's break it down. Reduplication is a linguistic phenomenon where a word is repeated two or more times. Um, some languages will use reduplication to express the idea of like many, like a plural. One car, two car car. Hmm. Or... Here's a cat, and there are a bunch of cat-cat, right? <laughs> we don't use it that way in English. Other languages will use it for continued action, right? To go-go. <laughs> Come-come, like yeah, exactly. the false etymology of yo-yo. <laughs> exactly it. We don't use it that way in English either, but English does use reduplication, um, like knock-knock, hush-hush, bye-bye, night-night, yada-yada, chop-chop. There's also rhyming reduplication in things like easy peasy and super duper. So we use it, but it's not something that we can invent on the fly typically and have people understand, right? You can't just say, let's go sit at the table table and people know what you mean by that, right? (laughs) But SHM reduplication is a fascinating instance of reduplication in English where you can make it up and people will get the gist of what you're saying. Burger schmurger, right? (laughs) Car schmar. I just bought a house. Oh, house mouse. I've had one for 10 years now, right? <laughs> just by doing that, by prefixing the second word with SHM, we express that idea of irony or sarcasm or skepticism. It can also be used for emphasis in some cases, like a fancy schmancy restaurant. <laughs> you're not saying it's not actually fancy. You're, you're saying it was indeed fancy, but there is some connotation there as well. So that, that's really kind of a fascinating thing that we, we have in English. Some notable uses of it in English are Joe Schmo, right? <laughs> it's like the most commonly used fictional name in American English. Also, and this was, this was fascinating. In 1971, an artist named Harry Nilsson published an album. It was his seventh studio album. And uh, he named it Nilsson Schmilson. <laughs> that was the name of his album. I love it. And this album is where... Without You was recorded. He didn't write the song, but his performance of it became the most famous until Mariah Carey's version in 1984. This is the, I can't live if living is without you. Sing it, Jameis. <laughs> and also on this same album, this is totally unrelated to SHM reduplication, but it's fascinating. Right next to Without You is Coconut. You put the lime in the coconut and drink it all up. <laughs> Coconut smoconut. <laughs> exactly. And then I guess there was a South Park episode called Rainforest Schmainforest. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately irreverent. But so the rules for that, though, it seems straightforward, right? You, you take a word, you repeat it. The second word, you replace the first consonant with SHM, and you get that sense of irony or sarcasm. Seems straightforward. But there's actually been studies done about SHM <laughs> Oh, wouldn't that be a great thesis? <laughs> Seriously. But check out the name of this, this article. Metalinguistic Schmetalinguistic. <laughs> the Phonology of SHM Reduplication. I love linguists, yes, I must say. such a great <laughs> sense of humor. We will include a link to that in the uh, show notes. But what this article covers are five problematic cases 
for SHM reduplication. Seems simple enough, but then you look at these cases, like, what if there are two consonants at the front of the word? Do you replace both of them or just the first one? <laughs> breakfast, for instance. How would you change that one? Schmreckfest. You would say schmreckfest with the R? Yes. What about floss? <laughs> Schmoss. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people would replace both of them. So you'd have breakfast schmeckfest hmm. or floss schmoss instead of floss schmoss. It's interesting. Like They basically had a survey of like a couple hundred people responded. What was the hurt? difference between them that's interesting yeah it'd be interesting to actually look at the article in depth I, I didn't look too much at it except to pull some interesting nuggets out of it but another interesting case is what if the word starts with a y or a w sound like the word union <laughs> what does it become in your opinion so i say union schmunion schmunion you yeah. would include the y sound in there as well i think so a lot of people would say union schmunion <laughs> it's hard to say schmunion let me be honest <laughs> Or like yellow, schmiello, or schmello. I might say schmello for that one. What about word? Your new favorite word? Word schmerd. Because <laughs> the W goes away. Because it is awkward to say schmerd, right? <laughs> what if the word itself contains an SH or CH That's sound? the one I was wondering. Like rich. Yeah. Is it rich smrich? <laughs> or rich smitch? Mm. A lot of people would remove the SH and just do SM. Mm. Um, other examples would be like wish. Wish smish. Schmish, <laughs> <laughs> especially schmish. <laughs> what if the first syllable is unstressed? This is an interesting one. Like arcade. <laughs> that, it, that's harder, isn't it? Arcade schmarcade. A lot of people would do. What you were almost doing there. They would move the emphasis to the first syllable. Arcade schmarcade. There it is. <laughs> Some people would actually put the SHM on the second stressed syllable. Oh, fascinating. Arcade archmade. <laughs> <laughs> That's so long. It's easier with some words like obscene. Hmm. Obscene obshmeen, right? Hmm. But some people would do obscene schmobscene or confusion. <laughs> confusion. Conschmusion. It's <laughs> hilarious. And then the final case, which I think is hilarious. What if the word itself starts with SHM? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say before. Yep. Yeah. Like schmaltz. <laughs> schmaltz, schmaltz. It just doesn't Some have people did that, though. They would just repeat the word as is. Or schmuck. Schmuck, schmuck. But some people... Tone of voice has something to do with it, right? It's very true. That sing-songiness. Yeah, yeah, the prosody of what you're saying. the Almost the melody or the mm-hmm. songiness of what you're saying. Yeah, like you could say, schmuck, schmuck, and everyone would know exactly what you meant. But some people would actually replace the second SHM with like SHN, schmuck, schnuck, hmm. or SHL, schmuck, schluck. Interesting. Or even a W in some cases, <laughs> schmuck, wuck. <laughs> So, I mean, in the end, like, language will find a way. If the, if the construction is too awkward, we'll work around it. You know, reduplication, schmaduplication, or <laughs> reduplication, my ear. <laughs> That's great. What a fascinating phenomenon. I did not know that it had a title and that people had studied it that in depth. It was a little tricky to find the name of it, and I knew the phenomenon I wanted to study, but uh, wow. Wikipedia came through. That's fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was a lot of fun. 
And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast feed and leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us, comment, and leave a review on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash your new favorite word. We'd love for you to spread the word about this podcast with others who might enjoy a little linguistic nerdiness with us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.